Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Tasty Tidbits Podcast. Get ready to receive rich, well-seasoned, and tasteful tidbits to transform your life. Each week, Dr. Tiffany comes to you with inspirational encouragement and thought-provoking interviews to help you revolutionize your walk with God. Are you hungry for more of His presence? Then get ready. And now, your host, pastor, author, and motivational speaker, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Tasty Tidbits. I am your host, Dr. Tiffany Watkins. I am so excited that you decided to tune in again today for another episode. I'm so excited today to have with me Christopher, and we're going to be interviewing him today um, on some information that I believe that will be helpful for you that I'm even interested in because we have been dealing with a lot of these particular issues in our neighborhoods, as well as I know that you've probably come across in your neighborhoods and in your community. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Christopher and we're going to go in into this episode. Christopher Blue is a therapist who is on the front lines regarding mental health and addictions treatment. Um, the nonprofit program he founded called More Than Therapy is addressing the gaps in treatment and assisting clinicians uh, to get the tools that they need to succeed, offering support and guidance so they can uh, better address the challenges in this field as well as avoid burnout. He's also a person who has impacted um, the mental health disorder as his mother had the same diagnosis. He has worked to develop most cost-effective strategies to assist those impacted by the mental health symptoms and recover appropriately. And Christopher has done uh, so many other things and we're gonna uh, learn a little bit more about that. But hello, Christopher, and thank you for being a part of our podcast. You know, I'm so glad that you are able to be here with the listeners today. So. Uh, how are you? And just tell us a little bit more about yourself. I'm well, and thank you for having me on your special edition of this episode, this podcast. I, I'm really um, honored for the, the guest appearance. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, just a normal guy who just happens to have a degree in mental health counseling. I am the everyday Joe. I'm the everyday guy. I'm the guy you meet in Harris Peter, and he says, excuse me, <laughs> as he moves his buggy down the aisle. Right. People want to put therapists and clinicians and the people in the helping field on this pedestal. No, we're common folk like you with just a special skill set or experience or a job or a career that is deemed to assist and help you. I think mm-hmm. that people oftentimes don't want to get help from people that they feel doesn't understand where they came from. And that's mainly the reason why I sought out to do therapy in this way um, because I remember when, you know, I had an incident and I had to get mental health stabilization. It was not the best experience. I remember when our mother had her own significant mental health breakdown and she did not get the best experience. I remember when my sister had her own issues and my mom thought she needed mental health stabilization and her not getting the best outcome because of it, because people didn't have the understanding of our culture or didn't have the understanding of where we were coming from or what we were going through because it didn't reflect their own values or their own stance in the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be what I wanted to receive. I wanted to be the change that I wanted to see. 
I wanted to be that which would be if I happened to be on the other side of that desk or that are those person's shoes. Right. That's what I try to be every day, every single day, because we are only as good as that which we give. And I strongly affirm to this belief called a Botu. I am because we are, you know what I'm saying? We have mm-hmm. to be together. That, that is so true. And, and it's just such a blessing and an honor to have you today. And, you know, today on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a subject that can be correlated, which is mental health gains and drugs, because they can correlate and go all, you know, all together. So before we get started, just tell us a little bit about your story of how you overcame tra- the trauma of your mother's uh, drug addiction. I mean, you know, I know that had to be a very challenging situation. Right, right, right. My mom, you know, she she got divorced from my father. You know, she she wasn't well. And I guess she coped by, you know, whatever it means she happens to cope. Mm-hmm. And addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, unbeknownst to her children at the time. But we might have seen some, you know, we didn't, what, what do we know about drugs? Our community doesn't really teach us these things. The mm-hmm. only thing we know about drugs are the zombies we see with the needles on the train track on the other side of the town or on our way to school. We didn't necessarily understand that people can walk around and be functioning addicts, right? Mm-hmm, or people mm-hmm. can walk around and be as addicted as anything, but they were still able to at least have some remnants of a normalcy or a mm-hmm. normal life where they mm-hmm. take care of their children. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, you know, we, the, our, my mom's addiction didn't really impact us. We still had clothes on our back. We still had food in our refrigerators. We still had the means to get back and forth to school. We still had clean hair and brushed hair and cut hair and styled hair. But her mannerisms, her her behaviors were were erratic. And that's where the addiction probably was taking place in which she physically disciplined or she was emotionally abusive. And the impact that had on our wellness and actually probably um, was antecedents for our own mental health issues as well as our addiction issues that might have played out later. Um, I sought refuge with peers. I sought refuge with people that didn't judge me because their their background was just as messed up in some ways. Their mom (laughs) probably was what we used to call zombies, where people would just be so zoned out on crack or heroin and just walk the streets aimlessly, looking messy with a dazed look in their eyes. You know, disparaging terms we might have used before we understood you know, the plight of what addiction was and why people ch- might have chose that path or why it might have been chosen for them because who would choose to be an addict? You know what I'm saying? Oftentimes we're numbing our pain mm-hmm. or we're trying to escape something. Mm-hmm. Not so much that, oh, we just want to party and BS. I know you have a Christian podcast, so I'll definitely try to limit <laughs> my um, West Coast language. <laughs> um but um and that's that you know and yeah just to the understand and have a better perspective of what needs to be done and how to do it and making sure that we're not using cookie cutter means to help people but like i said i was in these gangs and i was doing drugs and i was doing maladaptive behaviors and i was lashing out and hurting a community a community that was already suffering based on what was going on in our community um and then when my brother, you know, he was killed, I, I lashed out even more because I blamed everybody but myself. And then and then turned around and blamed myself, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Using that blame to want to be better, using that blame to use his life force that was no longer on the earth to do more and do better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to be the change that I would want to receive. Right, right. You so, know, so it's like as if I was taking his essence and I'm going to do what I can do to change. And I'm going to do that much more than what she could have done if he was still here, if he turned his life around. More than. Yeah. More than the average. Yes. Yes. That's powerful. You know, and something that you brought out, Christopher, that, you know, I think was worth saying, and I'm glad you said it, because oftentimes, you know, we get this uh, this view of drug addiction um, when people are addicted to a particular drug that they are not functioning or that they they don't have a functioning capability, but like you were saying, you know, your mother was able to still function. Y'all were able to be taken care of, uh, but oftentimes on TV and this, and, and like you said, there's another side of the spectrum that they show where um, the person is a zombie. They can't do anything at all, but I just think that is a, um, a great enlightenment to kind of let the listeners know that, you know, they're just like they say, there's functioning alcoholics, you know, they're functioning drug addicts, you know, uh, and so we don't recognize that often. Uh, one of the questions that I had wanted to ask you was, you know, do you believe that, you know, many people, you know, they try to treat their mental health issues with drugs? And if so, explain why. Because I kind of heard that before that, you know, when we have mental, you know, mental health issues and we don't deal with those issues or we don't even, and sometimes we're not even aware that that may be an issue, then um, individuals may go to drugs to try to ease and cope with that. Yes, and I believe that that you know that we need to reduce the stigma associated with it. People don't choose to be in these lifestyles. They don't choose to do the damage that they might do in such situations. And I feel like a lot of times, I feel like a lot of times they're judged and they feel judged, so they don't they don't actively seek help. Or they shy away from help because, oh, they're judging me. Or they don't understand my plight. I know many clients that don't even want to see a therapist that doesn't even have a similar background. They feel like that person doesn't understand my, my, my problem. Therefore, they mm-hmm. can't help me with my problem. Yeah, but, you know, I was just wondering about that because I had heard someone say one time that oftentimes, you know, they will use the drugs to cope with problems. I actually know a few people that have done that, you know, where they'll take uh, the prescription drugs that they have on the street. I can't think of the name of it, but it just kind of relaxes them and they take it and it helps them to go to sleep. Um, and they just take it constantly to numb themselves out so they don't have to deal with the struggles that they go through um, during the day or what they have to deal with daily. I know a lot of clients that have used prescription drugs are Amplify their symptoms so they can actively abuse yes. their prescription drugs. <laughs> yes. Some of the yes. drugs that you might be talking about might be Ativan. Yeah. Or Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I had a client, you know, and I used to work with social services and sometimes they would go to the doctor and say they have pain for this and pain for this and pain for that when really they just wanted it to try to self-medicate mentally. And so it's a, it's a big... And if only they could, you know, work on strategies to, to, med- to self-medicate, you know, utilizing skills. I mean, you know, sometimes you need a combination of both medicine and skills mm-hmm. in order to get a better firm foundation in the skills 
in order for you to address your, you know, your, your ills, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. Now you, now why are you saying that? You, you've worked to develop a cost-effective strategy to assist those uh, that have been impacted by the mental health symptoms and help them recover appropriately. Tell us a little bit more about your strategy. My strategy is basically meet people where they are. You don't necessarily have to come into an office to get therapy. You know, I use community-based therapy. Community-based means in order to address your issues where you're at. This way, I actually have a better snapshot of what's going on in your world. As you may come into the office and say, everything is hunky-dory. But you can't necessarily tell me that when I see a police tape in front of your building and I see uh, a chalk outline in the parking lot and I see news flashes of what's going on in your neighborhood currently, you know, or when I see that, you know, your lights are off or when I see that, you know, your, your medicine is the same field that I know you got filled 20 days ago, but it has just as many pills that when you first got it from the pharmacy, you know, I can see these things and I can have a better understanding of what strategies I need to use in order to help you meet your treatment goals and mm -hmm. meet your personal goals because they're not my goals they're your goals and if you want to be better then I'm going to assist you with getting the strategies getting the skills in order for you to be better and mm -hmm. if what we'll do if what I'm doing is not working then I modify accordingly I meet you where you're at that's good that's really good and that's what we need we need people who can meet us where we are you know, and not in something you said earlier, even you, you can't remember, you can't forget where you came from, you know, um, people want people that are real and are tangible and that are transparent. And when you, when you're able to be that, they'll be, they're more receptive to receive what you have to say to them uh, because they feel like you understand their plight and what they're going through. I just think that's- And they feel that they won't be, and, and that understanding free of stigma, free of judgment, mm -hmm. that I'm willing to do the work and I'm not being, I don't feel like I'm being forced or cornered into doing the work because some professional or someone on a higher stair than I'm on mm -hmm. indicates that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I actively, I self-disclose to a certain extent so people know that, you know what, when I'm talking to you, I might as well be talking to myself on some of these issues because mm -hmm. I'm going through the same stuff in many aspects as you. I think that's what the, the beauty of being a therapist like me does because I don't put myself in such a place of being that I can't understand where you're coming from. That could be my uncle. That could be my brother. It mm -hmm. hurts just the same. Mm-hmm. That's so true. It, we have to have that form of empathy and compassion you know, to be able to help. I believe a true people who are really more compassionate and empathetic can really be better. They can better serve those uh, that have been where, where we may have been. Uh, and it's very important that we are able to relate and that they can be comfortable with you so that they have some normalcy to know, okay, I can get through this thing. And I think that's very important. You know, so one, one of the things that I've really been waiting to get in because We've, we've dealt, we're dealing with a lot of issues, even in our community now with gangs and gang activity. And there's a lot of uh, things that go on because of the gang activity, but how does addiction issues uh, correlate with gang activity? Right, and it's like the people, gangs ain't what they was 20 years ago when I was in gangs. I mean, it's almost like they, they affiliate with a, a flag or they affiliate with a, 
a, a group, a gang, or whatever, but they don't understand the essence of why these gangs might have originally formed or the purpose of it. When I see two set, two different sets of crips just killing each other with no given purpose, shooting each other, blowing up their next door neighbors from each project is right next door to each other. It just doesn't make sense, you know, that, and it's because they don't have no purpose. They don't have no, mm-hmm. no reason to live. They don't, their mom wasn't adequately in support of them. But you know, we're not even going to blame the mom. Where was the dad? He wasn't adequately supporting them in their, in their, you know, their wellness, giving them, they say your values, you get your values by age five. So by age five, you need to have a certain set of values. And if your mom was con- your mom or dad or your grandmother or your grand aunt, you know, all, you know, we have we use villages here <laughs> in, in our in our systems. You don't always have to rely on the the, the original parents. As you know, our grandparents take up the role sometimes. Mm-hmm. Our aunts and our uncles take up the role sometimes. But if they don't give us the values we need, you know what I'm saying? If all we've seen is the fast the fast life, the fast trash, if we didn't see you know, why would my mom choose drugs over me? And if we don't see love, then, you know, we're not going to adequately be able to navigate this world in a loving way. We don't care about you. Mm-hmm. We don't care about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Christopher, that's so good. And I, I, uh, listeners, I hope you're listening to that. You know, I have a lot of young men that I come in contact with often, you know, even through the church sometime and because they didn't have that love or because they didn't have that family dynamics, uh, they, that's why they end up actually going into gang activities. And some of them, they still talk to me, you know, I still talk to them. Some of them now, you know, they love God and, but they, they, they're involved in this gang activity. And I even talked to my uh, young nephew and nieces and they're probably only six and seven and some of the young boys from the church and I talked to them and I said you know your life is more than a piece of paper your life is more and I try to encourage them you know do you want to live purposeful do you want to live and be better or do you want to live this life where you don't know um, what could or could not happen to you and so even at a young age I try to instill that into them and I think it's important for us to understand that we have to, you know, one person can't do it alone. It takes the whole community in order to be able to show that love and support and to get involved and not be afraid to get involved, not be afraid uh, to love those that have actually been initiated into the different gangs. And so to hear that even you were in the gang at the time, you know, just let the listeners know how were you able to survive a gang infested neighborhood? What were some tools that or things that happen for you to be able to survive in that neighborhood? I grew up reading. I know that was one of the, probably one of the most basic values my parents gave me, reading, um, encyclopedias, books, magazines. All these things were always throughout our house. So I was always in a book, my escape in many ways with these books. I used to love Greek mythology. I still to this day love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in these gang, when I was in the gang, I didn't necessarily have to be a hardcore member of the gang. I didn't have to do some of the more hardcore things. I was in many ways protected by the older gang members who saw something in me, you know what I'm saying? Something mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. They understood why I might have chose 
that particular lifestyle, like the essence, they didn't really want me to get into the the harder stuff. So I didn't have the same gang experience that, let's say, someone else might have. My stuff might be more penny-handy. I was known to my gang as a more of a, a mouthpiece. I was a poet. I was a rapper. So I was the, the musical assassin, you would say. I would um, glorify or say what we needed to say on these this is way back in the uh-huh, day. Uh-huh. On these mixtapes, you know uh-huh. what I'm saying? I would talk about uh-huh. the glorious Crest <laughs> Nation yeah. on these mixtapes. And that was basically what it is. They had to protect the music. They had to protect the rapper, the DJ, you know, <laughs> me and my DJ Sean. You know what I'm saying? Because we the ones who, I guess, in many ways, promoted and marketed the gang for the music. So my experience, like I said, in many ways, was very different than, you know, someone else's because of my unique talent. Um, when I did get dirt, when I did get into dirt, I mean, it was just about being mindful, you know what I'm saying? Being aware of where you are and, you know, and always, you know, you know, God, what they say, blessed and and highly favored. I I am truly blessed (laughs) and highly favored because I've been through some things that nobody, 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 no, 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 no way <laughs> should have got out of. Right. Anyways, on paper, on paper, I shouldn't even be here today. Mm-hmm. But God saw something in me, or God had a purpose for me, and I think it had. I had to go through that to get here in order to fulfill such a purpose. Hmm. And and that's I, I, and one so one thing you said earlier is they have no purpose. And when you don't have a purpose, then you let others tell you what your purpose is. And so it is important, you know, even as they're growing up, and I, I believe this is wholeheartedly, uh, that, that you love to read, you know, and, and, and reading was uh, escape for you, and, it was, and you still love that to this day. And sometimes we don't realize, and, and I tell the young people all the time, that you got to hone in on your gift you know, and take that gift and use it for the glory of God. Take that gift and let your gift bless others uh, so that they can have hope. But many times today, a lot of the gangs now, it's just, you know, about the money and about not all of them, but a lot of it, you know, across the young people that I come across, they, they love it because it's the money, you know, and it's the money aspect. They can buy what they want. They can do what they desire to do but it's more than just that. And they're young, you know, in middle school and I think fifth grade on up. And so that is an issue. Uh, And I think that if we are able to encourage them even more, that that would be able to help them. You know, and I was thinking about that too. How is drugs and gangs related? Now, I know a lot of of gangs, they do sell drugs. Uh, So give us a little bit more information about how gangs and drugs are related. Gangs and drugs are related because that's the lucrative income that funds the lifestyle. It's the criminal element. It's basically gangs wanted to be what they called mirror images in some way to what was the mafia back in the day. They wanted mm-hmm. to be the Al Capones and the, the Beanie Seagulls. That's what they, they personify themselves in many ways. So, you know, Always the flosser, always the, <laughs> the person that wants to have all the gold and all that stuff. We didn't use our money adequately or we didn't use our money appropriately as what it, 
if you know anything about rich people, they really dress down, don't they? Uh-huh. They don't be blessed. Rich, right. really dress up. <laughs> yeah. The, the Louis Vuitton and all uh-huh. that. Donald, uh, Donald Trump, Bill Gates does not own any Louis Vuitton. And if he does, it's only for special occasions. You will normally see him in, you know, regular khaki, mm-hmm. a sweater and a button-up shirt with a tie. Mm-hmm. His glasses cost more, no more than 250 We'll go out and buy some aviators for a thousand fifty. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because we think that's what it takes to be rich. But you know, back to your 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 question. Back to your question is that it fed that it fed that income. It gave the people purpose. In fact, the gangs probably couldn't survive if they didn't have that lucrative income because that's the only thing that would really draw you to the Uh gang. In many cases, you wanted to be rich. You wanted to make money. There's no money in your neighborhood. There's no money in your, your father doesn't bring any money into the household. Your mama relies on Section 8 or SSI income. There's no money in the house. Mm-hmm. What can I do? Boom, here's money. You do this, 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 and this. You got money. You can get a new house. You can pay your mama's bills. You can get your mama clothes. You can get yourself clothes. You can wear these nice Air Force, Air Force Jordans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of these bobos that you're wearing or you know what I'm saying or whatever your mom was able to afford at the time that's why I tell them again over and over again that you know your life is not worth these material things you know you, your life is right. more than that right. and I keep instilling that into them and I think that's you know and that's what I was going to ask you as well what can we do as uh in the community to encourage our youth to do other things this besides enter into games? What, what, what is the step that we could take in order to better help our young people? Well, a lot of times when you look at these communities that we, these youth are in, they have all kinds of programs for elementary, but then you turn around and then once they get in middle school, there's very little programs for them. So they're idle. And what is idle things? Idle, idle things, idle hands, is the devil's plaything, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they say. It's not in the Bible, but that's not in the Bible, but you hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with that, you know, they are idle and they don't have anything to do and they're being influenced by negative peers. So, you know, I think social media and the use of cell phones can be a high contributor to negative lifestyles and maladaptive behaviors. But for the most part, if you don't have them, if they don't have nothing to do, they're going to have these issues. Okay. Let's look at, Let's look at other youth in comparison. The other youth in comparison might go to the YMCA and they might be in a boys' girls club. Boom. They're not, they don't fall into the trap of gangs because they had something to do. They had a purposeful life. But in other areas, we made the wellness recovery program deserts where that hood may not have that kind of program or, oh, that's square. I'm not going to that. Instead of- mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, that's how it was. You're going to do what I say or you're going to get out. That's just how it was. And that's the way it should be. mm -hmm. Parents become, each generation becomes less and less of a parent over time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. Is it the social grooming of our educational system? Is it the, I can't say that parents are younger. My mama had kids younger than I had kids. Mm -hmm. My kids have yet to have kids. And they're way older than I was when I started having kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so true. You know, and I was thinking about that even in the communities. You know, a strong community has things for youth. 
and you know because they're in the next generation and so having things catered and you're so right I used to teach teen pregnancy prevention and all the time you know most people would deal with the girls but in the particular program that I was I worked in you know we dealt with the girls and the guys so that we could meet the needs of them we didn't just work with the elementary but we were able to work with the middle and the high school and you begin to see because we would do scientific based uh, curriculum you would be able to see the changes in the turing of teen pregnancy prevention. And I believe it's the same thing with uh, working with the young people as well in educating them to be able to do other things and have things for them to do. That's one thing I can say about the church that I used to go to when I was younger, they mm -hmm. always kept us doing something. They always kept us traveling. And so when I began to work my job and I got out of college, I said, I wanna do the same thing. I wanna be able to take those that are at risk because I used to work at the alternative school and I wanted to show them mm -hmm. that there is more out there than where they are currently at. You know, and I had a young guy tell me, I had a young guy tell me this recently. He said, Pastor, you know, he said, you show me a whole different world I've never seen before. And I appreciate that because sometimes mm -hmm. we get so caught in our own little culture, in our own little city that we don't realize that it's much more out there. But we have to have people that are willing to stretch out and help others and help the young people to see that there's more out there than just where they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like those types of programs, those types of churches, those types of wellness groups, city funding. Like for instance, my friend, she's a commissioner here in Durham, you know, and they allocate funding for such things. Right. If you look at the budget, it's, it's very weak in those mm -hmm. aspects, mm -hmm. but then you see it's very strong regarding maybe upgrading the jail or <laughs> right. updating the court system, the court, mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe increasing support around shelter systems or something like that. Very, very few programs to address the needs of the children, the youth, so that those, they don't even fall into those traps that need those types of supports later. That is so true. And even here in my city, I say, Lord, as you continue to bless me, that is going to be my focus because I knew it brought me out of the neighborhood that I was in, you know, and we need that. You know, so if if you have those resources to be able to filter in to help in the community, because here, you know, it's a lot of buildings coming in for jobs and a lot of funding coming in for hotels and, you know, different things like that. But we we need that pro those programs and the funding to be able to help our young people even more. And I believe this will help as well to deter them from gangs because they will have something to look up to and to look for. We won't reach every, every single one, but we will reach many if we are able to find the resources in order to feed in to helping uh, the young people as well, even in the mental health field, because there's a there's not a lot in the mental health field. My brother deals with mental health and they can only help you to an extent and it's good, and, and, and I'm glad about the programs that you are doing and the, and the strategies that you're doing, because, you know, there's, there, there becomes a lack sometimes in the mental health system, but I believe that you are at a place where you're trying to do more, and I see it, to where you have strategies to be able to connect those in the community that feel like they can't go to the mental health system, and we need that as well, because if you don't take care of your mental health, if you don't take care of that, 
And if we don't reach out to our young people, you're going to have crime, you're going to have issues. And so when we learn how to deal with those particular things and find resources and come up with solutions regarding that, then I think we will see a better community. Do you agree with that, Christopher? I do agree. There's a statistic that says that they base prison systems, you know, building jails and things like that, off achievement scores by the time the kids reach third grade. So by third grade, they say, if they, you know, if the kids have a certain achievement score, which apparently has to be low, then they know, oh, we're going to need this many more jails or this wow. many more prisons. Instead of, you know, letting that be an active plan on, well, we need more support mm-hmm. regarding getting this person the education they need or getting the skills they need in order for them to be successful. You know, um, and that's a, every time I hear that statistic, I used to say, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Until I saw the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Instead, instead of using those funds for those, use these funds to give these kids extra support. Right. Use these funds to give these kids, you know, extra, um, extra educational opportunities. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe pay pay the teachers more and reduce the teachers um class size right you know that would be more effective in some cases because i know when i was a teacher i i had a small classroom and my 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 children did very well Mm -hmm. but when i seen my other people years later after i retired and decided to do mental health instead and i seen their classroom size i saw how ineffective they were the sweet spot is probably 15 or 16. Anything after that, you know, if you don't have a, a teacher aide, I don't know how you're going to manage that classroom and help them learn. You know what I'm saying? Right. How are you going to be able to do one-on-one when you have to split yourself between that many children? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And they need that one-on-one and, it's mo- and it shouldn't be just about testing and getting them to get test scores, but you have to be able to really right. impact them. And teach them according to their learning style. Everybody don't learn off of looking at a whiteboard or writing on a piece of paper. Culturally, you know, our background indicates that we learn communally. That's still mm-hmm. embedded in our, our gene code. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was in college and I might have been taking a course and I'd be like, ooh, this is hard. And then, you know, I, I got with my peers who was having some of the same issues with the course material and we decided to make a study cohort and we would study on campus like on our lunch breaks or invitation classes or whatever. And boom, even the ones that we would air quote called the dumbest of us all excel because they learn in a way that made sense to them. And they may not remember if they read it out loud and heard their own voice, but they remember Felipe's voice or they remember Chaka's voice or they remember Shakita's voice. And they, they and it, it resonated more when they was reading, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they studied more because they didn't want to be looking, they were looking suspect in this in this study group. I, I don't know what the formula might have been. I know for myself, yes, I did study more because I didn't want to look like the dummy in the group. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. And we do learn better, I think, you know, through through community style. Even when I did the activities with the young people uh, during the teen pregnancy prevention we did a lot of community work. We did a lot of role playing. We got actually involved in it and they really took it home and remembered it and learned it better. So that's so true. Right. 
Yes, right. Sir. That hands-on interactive learning. Mm -hmm. Now we need more schools like that. Um, math, yeah, I probably can learn that. Math, I said, I can learn on my own easy. Reading, easy. You know what I'm saying? Complicated scientific or historical things that I can't really do, see or do on a day-to-day -day basis that are kind of foreign to me. Not so much, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that just goes back to the presence or the essence of meeting people where they're at, you know what I'm saying? That we need to build on people's strengths as we address their, what we may deem weaknesses. That's I so remember I was working with a client one time and you know, he was struggling with his addiction, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, we had to work through his addiction. You know, and of course, you know, I, I would rely on his strengths. This guy had his schizophrenic breakdown when he was in his second year at DeVry. You know what I'm saying? He was 50-something years old. Um, so, you know, if he was at DeVry, as smart as I might be, I know I couldn't do anything at DeVry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you knew he had an intelligence in him mm -hmm. that I could capitalize on in, in his sessions that I could show him that he had the potential, that he had the word wall to do the things he needed to do to get past his addiction, right? Right. Um, and then, you know, Found out he had a CDL license at one time. I've helped somebody study for a CDL before. Whoa. Way beyond anything I could comprehend. Right, um, right. A lot, a lot of work. All that. That's <laughs> an intelligence that I, I, I consider you highly intelligent if you could pass the CDL. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we see these truck drivers, they just seem like very homely men that don't seem of any great intelligence. But like I said, we zoom out. And I promise you, if you or I, no offense, doctor, try to take a CDL test, even mm -hmm. if we did study for three or six months, we would not do well. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know several people with CDL license and they had to study. I mean, it was very mm -hmm. difficult. Very difficult. That's so true. But, you know, thank you so much, Christopher, for just uh, being with us today and giving us some information on what we could do in order to understand addiction as well as helping those young people in the community that may be desiring to be in a gang or that is already in a gang. But would you tell us mm -hmm. how the listeners could get in touch with you? Would you give us a little bit more information about how they could get in touch with you? Oh, of course. You know what I'm saying? Everything is more than therapy. More than therapy. More than therapy.org. More than therapy on Facebook. More than therapy on Instagram. More than therapy on TikTok and all that more than therapy and yes there is a company that's also called more than therapy i consider them my sister company even though we don't know each other like that they're out of virginia and you know what link with them too because they're doing great things too <laughs> <laughs> that's great and you guys you've heard christopher on today so go check him out on his website to find out more information about what he does, and just to be able to connect with him. You know, for everyone that's listening today, I believe and know that you will find some information on there that will be helpful to you. And so go and check out his website to find out more information. And listeners, if you know someone that's struggling with mental health issues or, you know, dealing with gangs or have an addiction, 
try to encourage them to get the help that they need and be, don't just push them there, but you help them in a loving way to be able to take them to get the help that they need, those that desire help, uh, because mental health is a big issue, gangs is a big issue, and drugs is a big issue. But if we come together as a community and able to work together, then we will begin to see changes in our communities. So with that being said, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You guys have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tasty Tidbits with Dr. Tiffany Watkins. If you're enjoying the show, feel free to subscribe, rate, and share with your friends. To learn more about Dr. Tiffany, check out her blog on goodreads.com or visit her website at www.renewedfaithministriesinc.com. Until next time, stay blessed.